Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is the YA author of The Mermaid, The Witch and the Sea. It's Maggie Takuda Hall. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am so excited. You have picked um, what over here is a Saturday afternoon classic, but I'm not sure when it aired over there. But please tell us what your thing is. Introduce it to us. Absolutely. So Friday nights in the United yes. States uh, at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what channel, but you could watch Xena, Warrior Princess. And it was my favorite show from the time I was in probably sixth grade till I was a freshman in high school. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it with my whole stupid heart. So give us a sixth grade <laughs> approximate. What kind of, what kind of, like, where are you on the growing up scale and in sixth oh, grade? Oh, yeah. Like, where, yeah, yeah. where? Yeah, so what kind like, of sixth yeah. grade are you? Yeah. 11, Oh, also, for um, people who aren't from Ireland, uh, yes, uh, we we can never figure out what grades are over here because they don't map to our school <laughs> system. So, yeah, what age is sixth grade? Right. Okay, so 11, 12 years old till I was about 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so right at the time where Perfect. you're like, ooh, maybe kissing is a great idea. And then you watch Xena and you're like, maybe kissing mm-hmm. girls is a great idea. I don't know. Let's not make <laughs> eye contact with that. <laughs> <laughs> Tall girls, small girls, whatever, whatever girl. Who cares? We Let's got all kinds everybody. of girls for you. This show is, has a lot of, <laughs> all kinds. It's got mm-hmm. so many kids. It's got so much very specifically kissing energy. And mm-hmm. at that age, mm-hmm. like that, that 11 to kind of 15 i feel is the real juvenilia sweet spot where like mm-hmm. you're like a baby duck following <laughs> some powerful gay shit around and i love it like it's very important and for the rest of your life you're like yes this is this is who i am now you know mm. absolutely there's something about like the rush of hormones and like becoming obsessed with things it's like they're linked mm. yeah because like you, when you get really obsessed with a thing it seems to be around teenagers and also whatever kind of for instance, Azina or, um, you know, friends or whatever, the person you're attracted to from the shows you're into then kind of imprint on you, I think, a little bit. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, I will always Buffy, be attracted to like yeah. thick thighed brunettes <laughs> who feel like they could crush you to death. <sighs> like that's mm, still my still my type. Or <laughs> dissolve you into dissolve you into like a little heap of ash with one steely mean look. Oh, you know, yeah. like one mm-hmm. kind sure. of very jawbone, cheekbone, mean mm-hmm. eyes look. Um, so <laughs> when did you like, how did you come upon Zena? Like, where did you how did this show arrive into your life? Was it purely by accident on a Friday night? Like, do you remember when it first showed up for you? Yeah, I do remember. Um, I guess I had to have been in seventh grade, actually. So like 12, 13 years old. Um, so sorry, I lied. The first time because I do remember being in our house in Piedmont which we didn't move to till I was in seventh grade uh, my sister and I watching it and we were both like haha isn't this so stupid and then we watched it every Friday night like going forward <laughs> 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 so it was like yeah. one of the first shows that I was watching quote ironically and yet never missed an episode and uh. we taped them off the TV and re-watched them because we were so cool oh <sighs> um, it was originally yep. a spinoff of Hercules, which was like a completely mediocre show that I had a very passing interest in. And I was like, kind of, whatever. Mm. If it's on, I'll watch it. But like, I'm not seeking this out. And they introduced Xena as a character. And I was like, oh, I like her. And then when I found out she was getting her own show, it was like, oh, <laughs> is this for me? <laughs> I think it is. So um, it's great. I love it. Um yeah, and it was like definitely a show where my sister and I would watch it and act like we were so much smarter than it and so much better than it. And like, 
And yet, still completely formative to my sense of humor, my sense of romance, how stories should work. I love it very, very, very much. <laughs> From the episodes that I've watched today, I feel like there is so much heartbeat below the costumes. And I miss <laughs> when television looked like that. That was my abiding feeling, you know, like it was very much a, I think, Alan, was it on Sky One here? Yeah, they used to do a double... Um, Double bill of Hercules and Xena on Saturday evenings on Sky One. There you go. Yeah. I remember it ambiently being in and around The Simpsons that kind of time of night mm-hmm. that it used to broadcast here. But I never pay, and I, equally, I never watched Buffy at that age either. So I remember that there would be Xena and Buffy and these things on the television and they were there, but I wasn't too close to them. But the yeah. aesthetic of it is so specific. The costume work is so specific. But underneath, there seems to be a lot of heart and a lot of clever writing and a lot of very passionate people do you know what i mean yeah so i do know that one of the head writers on it is uh like a queer woman and at that point getting queer media past uh, a network was impossible like it just you could have maybe a side character yeah Yeah, but you certainly couldn't have like your main character be sapphic um and so (laughs) neither lucy or renee o'connor the women who play xena or uh gabrielle really picked Gabrielle. up on it being painfully straight in real life apparently uh and they went home and somebody oh. was like oh you know because of all the lesbian subtext and they were both like sorry what <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> lucy lawless went back to the writer and was like this and she was like oh yeah absolutely that's there that's that's for me ah. i put that in there <laughs> it's comparatively like it's because you over the over time you know you, you hear like threads and spools of things coming out about Xena about like how mm-hmm. it was canonically queer throughout and how uh, Lucy Lawless is fairly chill about it now from what I can hear oh, oh totally right. yeah. yeah she loves it like a wonderful yeah. ally and uh then but actually watching it it's almost like pageantry in how like one of the episodes that I watched for today involved um, Gabrielle and Zena just vibing in a like a hot spring or a hot tub together, mm-hmm. like and not like shown briefly and it's like and or for, or for titillation. They have a very important, full blown conversation in the hot tub while <laughs> aggressively washing each other's ears and hair and then swapping positions. Mm-hmm. Like that's text. That's not subtext. That's text, man. And that's it only is- season two. You know, yeah. <laughs> like that's it not started like low-key gay and by the time it ends they're just like yeah it's gay it's gay now like you can't Mm. stop us yeah Yeah. the last two episodes are extremely gay and like very much on the surface and i was very pleased with that as a teenager watching it i was like finally it's just out in the open (laughs) um i was reading today that in the fandom it's not called the sexual subtext it's just called the subtext of the show yeah it's just the subtext <laughs> it's not even like there's no other subtext the only subtext in the show is the sexual tension yeah. yes <laughs> um but it's lovely yeah. but it's lovely and it's not it feels like it has layers you know it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as straightforward as look at these gals who are pals it feels a bit more it, it, there was one of the episodes i watched in particular i think it might have been um day in the life where at the end of it the pair of them and we will go through the 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 greatest hits uh, of the episodes that maggie recommended especially for people coming in from coming in clean um and who've never seen it before but there's a moment towards the end of one of the episodes where they're just like vibing under the stars together and it's 
extremely beautiful the interaction that they have it's very playful and very silly but it's the kind of familiarity that you have with somebody that you love it's it's, it was kind of moving i thought you know the end of that episode in particular and that's early on yeah the tenderness between gabrielle and xena is so wonderful for a number of reasons firstly because they have a bunch of explicit romantic entanglements throughout the series so they're clearly like a polyamorous situation where they're like life partners with one another that is a relationship that develops over the first season and then after that like they are still open to other people and these other relationships that they have um but also i heard this interview with lucy lawless um actually in prep for this podcast because i wanted to hear how she talks about it now and the thing that she said that hadn't struck me when i was a kid um but should have is that Gabrielle basically represents all of us like she's a normal person who's paired up with this wonderful like seemingly you know inhuman in her perfection and her abilities kind of hero and so I love that in the subtext of this show is the idea that loving someone who represents something greater than both of you is possible and beautiful and tender Mm. which is really nice and I think explicitly allowing that love there to be part of the story does beauty. And, and do you know what it made me think of? And I, I felt that dynamic. I felt that like Xena is some sort of like, an <laughs> she's not an alien, but she's like a fucking God or some shit. Do you know what I mean? She's huge. She is a tall, beautiful, powerful woman who is inexplicably gifted at all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And Gabrielle's a bard. <laughs> so I felt that there was sort of a weird, and I, weirdly enough, we never talk about Doctor Who on this podcast. I think it might be the first time I've ever summoned those two words mm. into this podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe there's a reason for that. I don't know. But I'm like, huh, this it's the first time I've ever pulled Doctor Who in here. Um, but it felt like that idea of a mortal being in the thrall and the admiration of a kind of an otherworldly being. And it's through that mortal that the otherworldly being gets to experience humanity and experience connection. absolutely like a grounding force yeah i think about that a lot when i sit down to write things that have sort of like fantasy or supernatural elements is that you always have to have something that grounds it back into a point of reference Mm. where the reader who does not have friends who are werewolves or like you know mermaids or whatever it is um can relate to it and you do that through emotional Mm. work but you can also do it by having a character who's sort of remains human in the way that we think of ourselves um and gabrielle's so effective at Mm. that and then there's joxer who's in introduced uh in these episodes in the greatest hits that i gave you he's a character in one of the episodes he's a later season character um who's a fucking he is laid low by that hat maggie (laughs) he is laid low by that hat like he looks pure god love him he's you wouldn't put that hat on somebody now no you you only put that hat on someone you're trying to make into an idiot which i love and appreciate Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and as a lesser raimi i feel like that's a perfect role for him and I like him as sort of like a cipher for you might be a normal person but you still know stupid people and it's nice to see Gabrielle's competence uh, sort of like paralleled against Joxer's just complete incompetence like there's a there's a spectrum from Joxer to Xena and Gabrielle's in the middle <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. perfect that's how you tell an adventure yes, story yes exactly right? you know like I think I think 
within those adventure archetypes, we hear a lot about rogues and we hear a lot about bards. And I do appreciate that Gabrielle is the grounding force, is the bard, yeah. the storyteller, right? I completely understand that. And Zine is the warrior. Not a lot of room for the fool in those big pictures, <laughs> no. is there? Do you know? Like, not a lot of room for the sap. So I, I definitely felt that. But there was affection towards him as well. So I guess before we get into it, get into it, we should probably tell everybody what the... the Tri- the, the the triptych of greatest hits are Maggie. What are what are your three episodes of Xena Warrior Princess? Which, if you were coming in from the outskirts and you wanted to find out the pure essence of this the show, what are those three episodes? Okay, so it was really tough to decide because Xena's super similar to the X Files in that there's like a wide swath of episodes. There are plot points that like keep coming back and so I was like there are super important episodes plot wise but in order for you to watch it I have to be like and then you have to watch these other 10 episodes Mm -hmm. so you guys didn't even get to meet my favorite villain of the show who's Kalisto who's this like incredibly hot feral blonde who uh, just perpetually gives Xena a very hard time and they're clearly very horny for one another or Ares the god of war with whom Xena has uh, history and beef But I decided to focus on standalone funny episodes because they are the ones that I remember the most fondly and I I think for me have the heart of the show in them. There are always big stakes, Mm. but I think the thing that makes Xena better than say Hercules is that it's a show that never took itself seriously even as it had episodes with life or death death stakes. It's always like a little wink wink. in a sense of humor a little that, camp well more than a little camp extremely camp in a way that to me is canonically bisexual oh yeah and so um, I chose Here here She Comes Miss Amphipolis which is an episode about Xena uh, pretending to be a contestant in a beauty pageant hosted by Salmonius who is a recurring character and a horrible Jewish stereotype uh, A Day in the Life which is a great episode to just sort of understand the regular dynamic between Xena and Gabrielle with lots of humor and bad CGI so that you get a taste of that. Um, And Been There, Done That, which is a Groundhog Day style episode um, that stresses me out and makes me laugh in equal measure. I was uh, amazed by how it sort of, the way that, and you're dead right about that Exiles parallel where it's sort of in conversation with this wider this is how a television show works. Do you know? We're going to do a Groundhog Day episode. We're going to do a beauty pageant episode. And I I love that. I absolutely (laughs) love that within this huge backdrop of like quasi godlike magic and warriors, it was like, and now we're having a pageant. Mm -hmm. And I I love it. I fully surrender. I surrender. I'm here. You know what it reminded me of? Because <laughs> if I was to pick three Star Trek Next Generation episodes, I would pick their Groundhog Day episode and their Day in the Life episode and also yes. a Holodeck episode, which is essentially what these three are. Yes. And which it's because there's so many episodes in a season, yeah. they can afford to play in the space, mm. which like, say like, if I'm just going to tie this into Star Trek Discovery now, where you have like a very limited series thing like Picard or Star Trek Discovery, where it's like 12 episodes, one story per season. Yeah. Whereas you have to the older stuff where they have like 200 episodes. You can do whatever because there's another episode along yeah. the week and there's 21 other episodes that year so it's fine so you can do send Zine into a beauty pageant for the laugh like and still get the warmth and the character mm. from it yeah i should mention too that there is a musical episode there is an episode that takes place in our time and place where xena thinks that she is uh xena reincarnated what um like it goes 
all over the place. Oh. Um, and it's a delight. And I feel like this is like a thing that the 90s gave us because of network television that doesn't exist mm. anymore because mm. of streaming, mm-hmm. which is that what, Alan, what you were just talking about, that freedom to be like, well, whatever, we've got 40 episodes to do this season. So in this one, you know, Xena's going to kill Joxer for fun. <laughs> <laughs> And in news radio, they did it as well. Yeah. In news radio, there was a fucking Titanic episode. No, if you're out there, the one other person who watched and loved news radio with Dave Foley and Phil Hartman, please contact me uh, respectfully, but please do. Um, there was I loved there was it. like a Titanic episode. Do you know? Like it was so. I don't playful. remember that one. Later, it was later. Um, yeah. Normally oh, now okay. I just recycle the first like three seasons. It's very comforting. But they they had like a space episode, <laughs> you know. Like there was a a sense. Kerry, call, Ke- my husband Kerry has a phrase for this, which he used very specifically um, when we were watching uh, Sailor Moon in uh, San Francisco uh, every Monday. Uh, Hulu used to drop two episodes, and every so often there'd be just an episode where they'd like fucking just go to the beach and shit, or they go to the mall. And nothing really happened, but they were hanging out together and just like wearing clothes and talking to each other and having some fun. And those beach episodes or mall episodes are the ones where you get to know the characters. You get to care about them. Like, of course, you care about them in the middle of the battle and when they're saving the world. But you need to care about them when they're backstage at a beauty pageant and kind of a stranger in a strange place. You need to care about them when they're just walking along behind a dude leading his cart through the forest and like playing games to pass the time, you know. Or washing each other's ears. Or washing each other's ears. You need to just care them. You need to care about them in the domestic, in the moment. <laughs> and those filler episodes are often the most magical ones because they're where you get to experience character at its height, right? Yeah, I think it's also where you experience characters with a kind of um, like familiar, familial uh, Mm. vulnerability. Like you get to know them the way that you get to know like your own siblings where it's like you just you have boring times together. I don't know. There's something about the proximity that that gives you to characters that that kind of intimacy Mm. that you don't only know them at their best or their absolute worst. Mm. You know them kind of in those in between moments where they're just using each other's scrolls to wipe their ass the or whatever scrolls, it is that creates yeah. you know tension between them oh my god i really <laughs> felt for gabrielle jesus but they they also like i think that uh if you that allows you to care about them more at the hard times yeah you know it, yeah i agree i absolutely big agree picture shit it's a thing that i miss i think that shira the new version of it is like basically a per- perfect show but I do wonder what it would have looked like if those creators had been allowed more space to just give us an off day yes. with Katra or an off day with Bo. I would have loved to have watched that. Earlier on when you were talking about Gabrielle and uh, Zena, I was, and actually when I was watching it, I was very, very sharply uh, kind of pulled into um, She-Ra because she stands on the shoulders of giants in that way and yeah. the, the legwork the literal legwork that lucy lawless did <laughs> is so apparent in such a beautiful passionate way in things like she like you begin to see like a very immediate legacy you yes. know legacy of, of <laughs> those early queer moments uh, that we got to experience there do you know you can you can you can see the connective tissue do you know it's not a through line but it's no. in the tissue. And you're, you're full right. And I do feel like the, very similarly about Shira, where it's like, I just want these guys to go like 
to a beauty pageant you know like yeah. i just want them to like mess around you know so tell us tell us about this is I, I i'm a little bit concerned that i might just only want to talk about this episode because it was so good tell us about uh here she is uh miss anna empathipolis so Amphipolis, thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when you were like, can you suggest us some episodes? The first one, even before I looked at the episode, I was like, oh, here comes Miss Amphipolis. <laughs> it was <laughs> in my top. And I would be happy if that was the only one we talked about because I think it's perfect and I love it. Um, it is an episode where a bunch of warlords who had previously been uh, at war with one another have a beauty pageant where they are using these women as their proxies to kind of exercise their competitive energy with one another and meanwhile there's like clearly hijinks going on so Xena submits herself as a fake contestant uh, Miss Amphipolis which is the town that she's from Gabrielle pretends to be the her carer um, and Salmonius, the aforementioned Jewish stereotype who is hosting the uh, pageant, is aware that Xena is there to kind of try to keep peace. Um, and in the episode, we get to know other queens that are there, specifically Miss Artifice, who is a drag queen um, who is competing, who Xena is totally supportive of, and who uh, ends up winning the pageant. And... I don't know, it just combines all of the best things that Xena has to offer. Her unwavering confidence, her ability to do anything. Um, she gets to drop her line, which she says all the time. Her catchphrase is, I have many skills. It is always used as a joke. <laughs> um, and she gets to drop that in her like fake falsetto voice. Um, anytime they force Lucy Lawless to play Xena as a bimbo, which they do a lot. Sometimes Xena is doing it on purpose. There's a few episodes where there is a princess who is identical to her and they have to switch places in order to keep the princess safe. Also an episode I consider oh, recommending. They're it fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's Xena dot 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 princess. <laughs> <gasps> Get it? Because it's like the show. Anyway, um, so... I don't know. And like the the complete queerness of this episode is also super important to me. And I like how even though they force the women to run your introduction to the the contestants is them running down a beach with their boobs flopping like very Baywatch. So and then eventually much every single one bodily, of them yeah, yeah. Like a lot of zooming. Yeah, I was like, boobs. wow, we're yeah. we are hello nineteen ninety seven. Mm. What's what's the crack? Here we yes. go. Like, oh, I watched the final episode of Baywatch. <laughs> a last lot week, of unnecessary cleavage. Like that the nineties are totally it's so different. You, you don't even remember how sexualized it is because you were a child. Like yeah. 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 It's uh I just watched Cruel Intentions last night. Mm. Oh, anyway, wow. That okay, movie doesn't yeah. hold up. But Ooh. if you want to talk about weird fucked up shit we were watching in the <laughs> 90s where you're like, I'm in middle school and this is normal. <laughs> this is anyway, what growing up is going to be. I assume this is five years away from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are millennials always talking about rape culture? No idea. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so all the women are like, running down the beach with their boobs out and everything um and then every single one of them is given a backstory and an arc of their own and it's like that to me is what xena does really effectively and with like great humor is they always start your expectations with like aha we've got your attention with boobs but guess what <laughs> there's a human attached to them and there are so many episodes like that i felt like really kind of 
again it was shocking where Zena and it's not in not in that real uh, forced girl boss rhetoric that you can often see in contemporary television where uh, I feel like the the dialogue ends up leaning towards very um, recycled or inauthentic sounding conversations around liberating yourself or you know there there's I can tell it a mile away when there's been a conversation in a writer's room around feministing something do you know um yeah totally. whereas there's an interaction particularly in in, in this episode where Zena as uh, her alter ego in a blonde wig um, is having a conversation with one of their contestants about her relationship with her sponsor and how she's concerned that she he can't see her as a person beyond how she looks and like it's it's a long enough scene you know and it does end up in a, a really yeah. lovely liberating moment of her of her choosing to to kind of uh, choosing her own autonomy over over his kind of governance but it doesn't feel ham-fisted because it's early you know yeah. it's 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 at a time before these chats were being had so it really is quite radical you know yeah absolutely i mean it's still like clunky writing it doesn't age perfectly no but no, i do think that not. it's nice that in that episode there are moments like that and there's also a moment where like one of the warlords is actually just a dude who needed to be told that just asking the woman he's entwined with what her opinions are is like a viable avenue and he's like oh i had no idea and there's like a lovely moment at the end of that episode where he gets his own kind of redemption arc and i like that the show offers so many different avenues to being a good person especially since it is a show that is about redemption mm. so i didn't assign you guys <laughs> to watch the first uh episodes uh they are particularly clunky and age particularly poorly but um xena's whole thing is that she was once um like a bloodthirsty warlord the right hand of Ares, the god of war and that she at some point in her life realized that is well with hercules she realizes that is not what she wants to do anymore so the entire show of xena warrior princess is her trying to redeem herself and gabrielle is sort of the person who allows her to do that and the person who urges her to do that in the kindest ways Zena doesn't know how to be kind naturally. That's one of the things that Gabrielle is there for. And that's such an interesting character call. Like her, her, you can see her regarding people with distance, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's like so far above. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's be real. It would be hard to empathize with everyone if everyone around you like can't keep up with you under any circumstances. And the people who can keep up with you are trying to kill you. Like, I bet it would yeah. make it hard to make yeah. friends the her but her interactions with the other women aren't terrible either you know like there's a moment early on in the episode no. where like one of the other girls i think there's like this crossover moment in the, the room with all of the girls and one of them says something to her about her height and there's this like and yeah. of course that that pays off kind of later on um but there's a uh, she sort of is just like unfazed by it in a way that is lovely you know like she doesn't absorb anything she's just like yeah whatever you know and that's a uh, good and healthy to see she's competitive in a really healthy way mm. is the thing that i really like about xena so she's stupid competitive about things like who can throw things the farthest or like who can you know hit an arrow in the most perfect spot whatever but she is ne never game for like arbitrary female competition and in fact she always works to subvert it and i think that's another one of the things that's like super on the page explicit in the Here She Comes Miss Amphipolis episode. 
especially because Miss Artifice is so forthcoming with her in a way that when I was watching, I didn't see it coming a mile away. And I was like taken aback by the tenderness with which that situation is handled. Do you want to do you want to talk about it a little bit? Tell tell our listeners what the the bigger setup is and then what the payoff feels like. Yeah, so uh, somebody is trying to sabotage everyone. Unrelatedly, there's like a little tiny bit of sabotage that happens towards Xena's character, and it turns out that it is Miss Artifice who has done it. Uh, Miss Artifice is a drag queen and she is worried that Xena is going to out her and Xena's like absolutely not may the best woman win very rupaul's drag race (laughs) um and so she is sort of like her quiet ally in this uh pageant and she's there is support and so when miss artifice wins and later xena and gabrielle are walking away and gabrielle's like so the winner of this pageant is miss known world is a man that's kind of weird and xena just goes no it isn't and that's sort of where they leave it beautifully handled perfect it's perfect again a moment where gabrielle is sort of the proxy for most people at that time where they'd be like that's a joke right the joke is that he's a man and the writing staff of xena's like no that's not really the joke that's just what happened it's really elevated it's oddly elevated in that way right (laughs) like there's a moment in it where one of the one of the kind of warlords thinks that they have clocked xena who is in a wig and, and done up as this sort of um like this alter ego and is this plant and uh, in this terrible moment of conflict where you think it's all hell's about to break loose Miss Artifice steps in from stage left dressed in Xena's clothes in order to be like mm-hmm. wink I'm a contestant dressed as Xena look away from the like look away from this look at this distraction and steps in and helps her so there's this lovely back and yeah. forth of like warmth and silliness and playfulness and kindness and uh, you simply would not see it in that the year of our Lord, 1997. No. Like, it was so uh, kind and, like, easy is yeah. what I would say. Mm. Yeah, and the other thing that you wouldn't see typically you know. in 1997 is they actually cast a real drag queen to play that part. And not to play it as full camp. They did. She's Cara legitimately Dior. beautiful. Yes. The quest I went on. Yeah. She is a stunner. <laughs> and in the show, she's beautiful. Yeah. And in real life, she was beautiful as well. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that's huge. We're, we're still struggling to have sort of like drag representation that isn't just uh, like camp. You know what I mean? I feel like that's where straight people tend to be the most comfortable with drag is like, ah, oh, yeah, it's obviously a man. And that's the joke is that he can't look pretty in a dress. Okay. And I loved that with this, way ahead of its time, was like, no, no, she's beautiful. She's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She looks unbelievable. Yeah. Like, what, what was very striking to me was that her, her dress, her hairpiece, like the, the halo thing she was wearing, mm-hmm. her makeup was absolutely on par, if not beyond what the other contestants were wearing. Like, yeah. she looked beautiful. You don't see... Uh, drag queens or um, anything of the sort represented in such a like aesthetically deliberately gorgeous way you know like it was from that period in time in particular it was truly radical like it was you can see that the corrective joke happening where again Gabrielle tries to be like oh it was a man and Zena's like that yeah whatever who cares you know like you can even see that in the visual presentation it was shocking in the best way to see 
And two, if you think about it in its context, again, like I think of another show that I was watching, maybe just slightly before Xena, but Martin, which was one of my favorite shows. And there's the recurring character Shanene, which is just Martin Lawrence in drag. Shanene is super ugly. Shanene is over the top. Like the joke is that Shanene isn't a real woman. That's like the whole mm. joke. And so it's lovely to see something like Xena that comes like very shortly thereafter refuse to play that game. Yep. And places uh, Karen Dior alongside the other female actresses as equal, literally equal. And Lucy Lawless being super tall helps in that yeah. balance. Do you know? <laughs> it is a lovely, there, there's, it feels to me having watched that, like there was something else going on there. It mm-hmm. felt smart and deep and good to me. And the, uh, it's so uncommon on Juvenile all the time. We do a lot of Hail Mary full of grace. All our faves are problematic. We all yeah. love things that have shitty, dodgy moments. Um, and that's just part of the bigger picture. You can't get stuck on. You have to go, cool, that sucked. But there are things yeah. to love. But this was a really um, just astonishing. So often on Juvenile, we go back and we find stuff and we're like, oh, that hasn't aged well. So it's like genuinely a lovely surprise to go back and find something more progressive than you remembered or that you didn't realize at the yeah. time and find yourself being surprised but in a good way by something old is um lovely so rare, rare and lovely yeah because you think about Super like unusual. all the gay panic stuff in friends around that time that ace ventura was around then oh my like, god alan you and me did the most ep- the most emotional episode of juvenilia is and the only one in which i have cried was me and alan talking about spaced mm. which has a astonishingly transphobic Oy. moment in it which would make you feel fucking gross mm-hmm. you yeah. know so there there when you comb through that back annals of how people used to entertain each other and what things used to f- like feel largely acceptable to the vast majority of people you hit these ugly bumps mm-hmm. that you have to reckon with and you have to move on from so yeah. to see something so kind and good as well do you know it's <laughs> like it's kind and it's funny and it's warm it's like it's fucking holistic and it shows that there actually was a higher bar achievable at a certain time in history but nobody was going for it mm. no uh no i think it was really good on the queerness front i did not send you guys any of the episodes it has a problem with racism <laughs> oh, uh particularly okay. towards like India and the Far East. They do a really great job with their casting. They include a lot of like indigenous New Zealand to New Zealand actors and they include a lot of black actors, which is great. Just sort of casually they're part of the Xena universe. But literally anytime an Asian person is involved, it's like and you're like, oh boy, they're here with their mystic, exotic magic. And that's where the show ends, which is kind of brutal for me, is like she goes to Japan. Anyway. Oh no, it's, it's rough. Yeah. Um, but you know, the soundscaping is challenging. The scans- yeah. the soundscaping belies a lot of what is happening on screen. Whoever is operating those cues is like on a pretty different wavelength. Uh, oh my I god, think it's a lot we of, um, haven't even gotten into the sound effects, which are hysterical. I don't know if you noticed that every time Xena <laughs> oh, turns yeah. her head, it makes a zoom <laughs> zoom. <laughs> I did notice. I did notice. Especially with the third episode, I was like, someone is out here playing this episode like a musical instrument, man. And it simply isn't. It simply isn't. You know? Like, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough work. Watched an episode of Xena fighting Callisto, I think, in a cave. And her yes. fighting sounds are a choice. She's just basically doing a high pitched keening sound while somersaulting oh, the for a good like, four minutes. Yeah, yeah. 
it's yeah. a very interesting choice i think it's quite hard to i mean low-key racist and appropriative yeah. Uh, it's not. Sp- it's mm-hmm. supposed to be like a happy noise that oh, women yeah. make, and she's like, "I use it to kick ass." Okay, that's fine, girl. Uh, sure not do. not great. I still love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so many sound you do choices, you, girl. Made. Like it's a yeah. It's hard. Uh, there's a lot of very prolonged uh, kicking and rolling sequences, also, which I did notice. There would be like mm-hmm. these semi montages of of like extended Xena tumbles and things, which are. Are they Lucy Lawless? Like, are no. they a stunt double? Like, yeah. how? Like, yeah. they sim- they simply must be an athlete. Yeah, right? there. She had a like, stunt double. Bless Lucy Lawless, who is perfect. But I don't think that she was backflipping through that entire show. It's pretty easy to have a stunt double <laughs> I, for Xena because she's got such a look. You know, like with that outfit mm. and the mm. hair. If you just have the hair wig. tossing, oh, you could yeah. wig that up really easily. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. It's it's at this point I I think it was probably designed in that way, but also by the limitations of budget, I guess. Is that like because we're dealing with terrible CGI, which mm-hmm. is the best kind of CGI, yes. so much it lands on the costumes, right? And so much lands on wigs and things like that, which are now so obvious, but I feel like there's a lot of like sweetness in it or something as well. You it's know? very like their costume designers all had to know how to sew. Like it has that kind of energy where oh it's boy. like they're reusing fabrics. They're doing whatever they can. The day that I figured out that Xena's skirt is just um, like pleather neckties was a wild day for yeah. me. I was like, oh, I see. We're working with 50 cents. And I love <laughs> this yeah. kind of like low rent options or choices that they made just across the board. The makeup is always bad. The hair is always wild. The costumes clearly reused. There are actors who come back in different roles all the time. Like Carl Urban, who's now famous, is Cupid and Caesar. Multitudes, man. Multitudes. You wild. Know? Like the, the thing that I noticed on the costume front was the gold and purple fabric, which we see on some <laughs> of the um, the like uh, sponsors in the beauty pageant rocks up later in the Groundhog Day episode. Yes. Um, which we should probably talk about as well because I feel like it shows a whole brilliant splice of the the Xena universe played out again and again and again until the, the logical conclusion. And also has like a nice kind of Romeo and Juliet vibe, right? And some good earrings. So can you tell us about that episode? Like explicitly Romeo and Juliet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hold so on. it's yeah, this yeah, yeah. episode where uh, Zena wakes up every day and it's the same day. It starts with Joxer walking into a barn saying, hey, I got us eggs for breakfast, rise and shine. And Gabrielle gets up and says, I'll rise, but I won't shine. <laughs> oh, it's a good this line. Town and uh, yeah, there, there's two um, houses basically that are, are warring two clans uh, that hate each other. There's like violence breaking out in the streets everywhere. Xena's just trying to figure out how to get these people to stop killing each other and also to not kill Joxer and not kill her horse and not kill Gabrielle in one horrible moment. But the day keeps happening over and over and over again because one person in the town made a wish to a god that they would send a real hero in who could save him save them and save his girlfriend from drinking night spain night spain uh, yeah you know because her husband is not gonna or excuse me because her father is not going to let her marry the boy of her choice because he's in a different clan um it is such a stupid fun episode with so many unnecessary humor beats uh there's a moment where xena just kills joxer on purpose because she'd like to sleep in there's a moment um uh, 
it's just it's great it's a great episode and i particularly like that the solution comes from her just throwing her chakram around which is this like round frisbee that defies all rules of physics um and somehow she's able to use it both as a weapon that can just kill somebody straight out from cutting into them but also can just knock them aside as needed Uh, it bounces off of things and she's able to maneuver it just so it goes through this town and solves like eight problems at once and then she just talks these families into into getting along with one another it's peak xena it's what xena does best uh and it also has my favorite line where she's like gabrielle's getting in her way and she goes just go play with joxer (laughs) and implies how xena thinks about both of them it's just children she has to like bring to along wrangle. with her. Make sure they don't Which, die. Like, I bet that would be how it feels. Yeah. Make sure they yeah. stay alive. <laughs> Stupid hats. Just go and entertain each other. Mm-hmm. Like I think that there was something incredibly like it, it had a real. This is gonna sound odd, but like I mean, you know what I mean. Like a real television feel. The idea that you would do a Groundhog yeah. Day episode that was also exactly a Romeo and Juliet episode. Do you know? Like that's yeah. That was TV. You know, like that was just an, a thought Absolutely. experiment brought to its logical conclusion. Oh, yeah, there was like a character development. There exercise. was like two <laughs> posters on the writer's board and they just one of them stuck one post on the other and they went, eh? What about? What yeah. if both? <laughs> what if both? <laughs> there are so many episodes, both comedic and serious, that are like that. Like, for some reason, Xena exists in a time space where she can be involved in the David versus Goliath story be there for the rise and fall of Caesar and also like she's just everywhere in time she's dealing with the Greek gods at the same time as she's dealing with like actual historical Mm. figures and I love that in no way were the writers constrained by that they're like sure 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 sure. (laughs) I hear your hundred years of difference and I'll raise you they're happening at the same time as (laughs) Athena warrior princess but I think that there's such power in that kind of storytelling that didn't have a molecular deconstruction online as it was happening, mm. right? That it was just allowed, yeah. vibe along, tell the story in the humor and humidity and like set pieces that it desired without somebody being like, technically that never happened. And technically, how could that have happened? It was playful. And that playfulness and that riskiness yeah. Is is not a thing that exists at this juncture. That is finished. That 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 temperament of television is done. You know. I disagree that it's finished, <gasps> but just because I feel like writers are doing that a little bit more, like okay. novelists and comic book writers are just like whatever, fuck it. And there's also that show. Um, they did it in the movie The Favorite. Uh, they did it in A Knight's Tale. They did it in the new show The Great. Is full of anachronisms. I think it's coming back i know so i wrote a graphic the return of the anachronism yes i'm about it because it's fiction so fuck off why are we sorry am i allowed to swear (laughs) oh yeah oh boy yeah okay so fuck off uh like if you're making up everything if there's a warrior comma princess you get to do whatever the fuck you want physics don't matter history doesn't matter like let's just have fun so i sat down and I wrote a graphic novel that's like pretty deeply inspired by Xena because I love that playfulness. And when we took it out to editors, 
like half of them were like, why does this samurai have a cell phone? And I was like, because I want her to have a cell phone because this is fake and there's monsters so she can do whatever the fuck she wants. Because it came out of my imagination. This yes. <laughs> yes. And so I remember having a conversation with my agent because she was like, you know, listen, like three people have gotten back to us and they're like, I love it except for the cell phones. Can you cut the cell phones? And I was like, no. And finally yes, I found somebody who would let me <laughs> keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> and I was holding to my stupid, stubborn guns just because of Xena. Because I was like, no, I know I'm allowed to do this. I absolutely think that this is possible. It doesn't, I don't need to explain why they have cell phones. It's a thing that's happening in like Netflix shows. It's, well, it's kind of the opposite of that. Because Netflix shows kind of take place in a deliberate, timeless, late 80s to 2000s. Where people mm-hmm. have cell phones, but it also looks like 1986. Whereas Xena or your thing is like, it's all, it can be any span of 1000 years either side of this it's all valid and i don't care like it's and what that does i think is if you're less concerned about which scene is definitely not concerned about like canon in any way or like consistency you it's just (laughs) it becomes you it has to be about the characters then and that's yeah. what Zena lets, lets itself do. It's completely about the characters now. It's completely about the characters. And even when it absolutely betrays its own canon, which it does frequently and without any kind of guilt, <laughs> um, yeah. there are still storylines that stay true through them. But the only thing that matters is like, how does it make Zena feel? Usually mm. furious. So the, <laughs> it's either like grief, <laughs> furious, or triumph. Like those are Zena's emotions. And so these through line stories that go through all of them have those emotions in them and it's like mm. that's kind of all that matters like is Aries her dad or her lover we're not sure anyway she's mad at him so <laughs> it's very Greek mythology like in fairness yeah. to them like it's yeah. where like say in like in like Greek myths like uh, God can be this complete nonsensical farce of a thing in a comedy and then just the scariest thing in the world yeah. in a tragedy and it's all everybody then just every back then accepted that the God was both of those things so we should just do that more. Yeah. I think there's more permission around that in fiction than there is in television, mm. though. And I yeah. think the way that people largely consume television now is sort of governed by a set of canonical rules and a, a set of systems. It's more what I was talking about, where you watch something and you expect the lore and the canon to be very um, rigid rather than mysterious or um, mood oriented. Yeah. Uh, which is what I prefer mm. in general. <laughs> I would rather I would rather there just be a cell phone for, mm-hmm. because that's why. Because vibes. You know? And I think that <laughs> vibes, of course there is. It fit, If it fits, it fits, yeah. right? And I think that that kind of fiction is restorative because it lets people imagine outside of... Uh, I, I blame um, Batman Begins for everything and making everything uh, realism. Um, yeah. And uh, mm. I think realism is unhealthy uh, in... <laughs> In, in lots of ways because it stops you having kind of like the fun that you can't have out here you mm. know uh, like playfulness is so and camp and silliness which requires risk and risk is fucking scary um, it's so important it's maybe the most important thing I absolutely agree and also for philosophical reasons I think what that kind of rigid realism does in a way that we don't talk about enough is enforce a kind of imaginative uh, complacency and also um, obedience that is not necessary and Mm. I think what shows like this do and why particularly queer people take to them so passionately 
is because it's a world where we're allowed to imagine that the things that constrain us in real life do not exist. And if they don't exist there, then what can you do in your real life to make them Mm. not exist there as well? And I just think that kind of like, well, that couldn't happen because X, Y, and Z and this Reddit board said that that's not the kind of bullets you would use or like whatever the fuck some cranky nerd has to say about it is usually a way, I think it's just commonly used as a bludgeon against queer and female creators um, to say that the way that we see the world is not valid. I think that that is largely what Mm. that kind of rigid realism is used for. And I fucking hate it. I'm sick of it. Fuck it. I don't want it. I'm not buying it anymore. It's against it's against silliness. Yeah. Yeah. No, I simply I I remember I I've again, it's something else I don't talk about on this podcast is how I feel about contemporary Batman movies and what they did um, to the wider landscape of (laughs) storytelling and entertainment. But I do think that realism is poison and I do think it is against silliness and it is against play. Yeah. Um, And I think that that is very largely targeted against uh, queer people and, and women and um, people outside of a very particular consumer base yeah. um, and I think that's poison well, I think the costumes and the graphics shouldn't have to be immaculate I shouldn't have to look at this and think that is really happening I think I should be allowed to look at it and go wow <laughs> and that should be enough rather than huh that looks real like fuck real I absolutely agree I'm a big fan of authentic emotion and everything else being artifice Miss Artifice, even mm. like I. Just <laughs> yes, um, I think the reason that pl- and the uh, the emotion is so authentic. Yes. yes, um, and so I think the reason that play is so so threatening to people who have power is that play is freedom, and it's a place where we don't have to follow the rules that make them mm. comfortable. And there's a reason why that is consistently devalued. Um, particularly in fiction and in TV and in places where we go just to have fun. Like, leave me the fuck alone. I want Xena to fly through the air and make her stupid noises and kick things and have that be the solution to so many problems. Like, wars, Mm -hmm. no, no problem. She's got it covered. Like, lover's quarrels, she also will fix that with kicks somehow. Doesn't matter. (laughs) She's just there to fix your problems with her, like, comely thighs and perfect bangs. And I don't need any more explanation than that. Like the camera will softly pan out so that you can see the conversation from exactly a vantage point where Lucy Lawless's legs take up exactly the correct quantity of this of the screen. <laughs> like you you exist at her heels and you you're totally fine yeah. with it. You're just like, yeah, I'm I'm all good down here, man. This is fine. This is totally fine. Um it also doesn't feel gazy. Like it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel gross. It feels like this is a gorgeous woman. This is a gorgeous, like, person. But it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel like. I don't know. Maybe it's how she, how she is shot or whatever compared to the other women. But there have been scenes in it that are about her strength or something. Yeah, she is so powerful know. that male gaze will always be minimal compared to what she can exercise in the world. Male gaze is never going to be what stops Xena the way that mm. it stops the rest of us. And so, like, she will never be uh. made diminutive by it. Um, and I love that. Because there's definitely scenes that are just about how hot Xena is. Like, there are so many scenes where it's just like, why oh, does yeah. everyone I mean, fall like, in love with Xena? That day in... <laughs> so the day in the life episode yeah. is about why does everyone fucking fall in love with yes. Xena, right? So do you want to... Like, do you want to talk a bit about that as our, as, our, as our final quadrant? Why does... 
Why does everyone <laughs> fall in love with Tina Mackey? What's going The perfect on? way to end this episode is just to talk. The, the day in the life episode plot doesn't fucking matter. It's basically just a question of why does everyone fall in love with Xena and how does she handle that pressure? <laughs> like that's, that's the point of the day in the life episode. Gabrielle watches it with sort of like dispassionate amusement. Um, and keep in mind, like this is her life partner and everyone's lusting after her and she's like, yeah, I get it. I'm comfortable with that. Which, first of all, modeling a very healthy relationship. I can hit her. I can yeah. hit her. <laughs> and if yeah. She's like, I can hit her. It can yeah. happen. You know, she pretends I can't. She pretends <laughs> that I cannot land the dig. But I, I can land the dig. Like, I can hit yeah. her. Yeah, and there's... Ah, she didn't let me. I can do it. You there's know? a great scene in it where everyone's watching her and everyone is horny about Xena because she's like getting out of the water and she's tossing her hair and she's so beautiful. And she looks back at you like, ugh. You're so boring. And I feel like that's the show's relationship with the sexual gaze towards Xena. Is like, yes, we are aware. And Xena is aware that she is a deeply sexy person. And she enjoys sex. And that's not a problem. And that's so liberating and so different from the way that other sexually attractive women were shown at the time. Xena loves sex. Xena fucks. And like, there is no part of her that is threatened by your attraction to her because she is aware that she is a highly fuckable person. The real question is, would you ever be able to fuck Zena? No, you are way below her. (laughs) And I feel like that's what makes the gaze in Zena, like it disempowers it because she emasculates so many men. Their desire means nothing to her. And that's fine. And that's what makes Xena hot. <laughs> like, that's one of the things that makes Xena hot. And so... I think that's a, such a powerful question. It's like, yeah, there's would you or would you be able yes. to? And that is the pure... <laughs> like, that is how this question splits. Like, whether you would or wouldn't is fucking irrelevant. Yeah. However, would you be able to? And that is... That's a very powerful question across, applied across the board to the gays and to... Uh, work which which centers or centers a like powerful woman wink nudge powerful Zena genuinely carries herself with the the gait and the the expressions and the mode of someone who literally doesn't give a fuck at all mm-hmm. and it's um it's core to her presence in every yeah. scene yeah you know um she knows yeah i love it as a as a horny bisexual person because i'm allowed to be like yes Zena's really hot and i love watching her because she's hot that is part of it and to not feel creepy about it like they give you like a beautiful avenue to enjoy how beautiful Zena is and to feel like that's appropriate and not be grossed out by it so it's like giving you permission giving its female viewers permission to be sapphic in their desire for her and it's also at the same time mocking every single hetero male viewer who is doing the same thing because it's like Zena would never <laughs> not you though not you <laughs> not you though like she's she's game but not you yeah. though like and i think that that's again it's that uh presentation and that mood and that vibe is similarly radical yeah. where you have this deeply sexual deeply sensual uh like fucking six foot question mark woman kind of knocking around in a leather mini dress but nothing that i have just said out of my mouth matches the reality of lucy lawless's portrayal of the of the character do you know like she's i'm gonna say almost stoic about it you know she's like yes this is reality and what now you know and i think that that's um it's 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 a deeply radical approach and um 
a relief again it's a relief to watch because the show obviously does fall into moments of gaziness with like ladies running on the beach and what have you but like it's not about it's not about that that's that can be executed within the camp of it i don't think i've ever seen anything like it no it's a weird show that addresses the threat of sexual assault constantly and never lets it happen and Mm. i think that that's why it's a profoundly safe place for like queer and you know female viewers because we know that Xena is always going to protect us from that. Xena doesn't let that happen. There are so many episodes mm. where like people are trying to kidnap Hestian virgins or like whatever. And you know oh. that Xena will never let it happen. And so it's okay. It's okay that we can exist in a world with horrible men because there is Xena to counter it. And it doesn't matter how many of those men there are, that one woman won't let it happen. And I think the beauty pageant episode, especially as an entry point, will completely flip all of your assumptions about that kind of story on its head because she will not let that shit happen to you. If she meets you, she will help you. And I think that that kind of superhero shit is, it's got nuance and it's got depth and it's got a lot of love in it. And I think uh, we could probably do with Azina in the year of our Lord 2021. We could do with that. In, in the way that she is as a, a, a fictional hero or as an old old god of the television I think I've said it once and I'll say it a thousand times just in case anyone's listening I put this out into the universe if there's ever a fucking Xena reboot and I'm not in that writer's room I will throw myself off a bridge I am clearly <laughs> the best person for this job please give it to me okay sorry let's continue with the, the regular rest of this podcast this is, this is the tape <laughs> It's this, it's this and the resume. Yeah. Just be like, juvenile episode and resume. Please, please let Maggie Takuda Hall yes. write the Xena reboot. Please let Maggie Takuda Hall write the adaptation, uh, the contemporary modern uh, adaptation of, of Xena where princess in novel or graphic novel form. I feel like that kind of passion is, is um, it's vital, do you know? <laughs> and I know there was meant to be a reboot, wasn't there, Maggie? Like, what happened with that? Did you see Yeah, that there was like rumors of no, it happening and then it never did. Probably because execs were like, nobody wants your probably. high camp lesbian musical anymore. And, you know, I think it's probably better left in the past. It's just one of those magic pieces of television that are like, I mean, I, I saw something a couple of weeks ago about 16 people sent to me being like, did you see they're rebooting Frasier? And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and I don't care. No, they're not. And no, I don't care. I simply, I simply, I simply have been through this with the X-Files. We are not doing it again. It's over. It's done. Yeah. We are finished. I do not know what happened to Fraser Crane in the final episodes and I do not care. We are living in a very particular loop of time and stories and we are not moving forward from there. And I feel like maybe maybe Xena might benefit from the same time capsule thing where it belongs within a it's 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 period rather than being dragged into the okay, future. Okay, but hear me uh, out, let me write it. But if it was Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it was Maggie Tudor Hall so if you were to bring anybody in Maggie what to, could you tell our listeners the episode names that you would send them on a quest with yes so if you're just trying to be here for comedy vibes I recommend Here She Comes Miss Amphipolis uh, Warrior dot 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 Princess which we didn't discuss but is another great uh, comedic episode A Day in the Life and um, Here We Go Again wait what's it called Shoot, hold on. Been there, done that. That's what it is. Been there, done that that. is the name of the the one. Um, They're all great episodes. If you want to watch it for the serious thing, I do like the serious storylines. I do actually recommend just watching the whole series through. It is a genuine delight. I think it's very fun. 
Um, there are some really beautiful stories about redemption and risk and grief and things that are universal and beautiful where it's given a lot of respect and a lot of space and taken very seriously. Um, and bonus, you'll get to meet Callisto, who is the greatest villain of all time and probably the root of why I am still attracted to blonde women who will never like <laughs> me back. So- <laughs> <laughs> like there's always one mother duck. There's always one. There's always one. Uh, Maggie, plug your stuff, please. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can read your yeah, things. Um, I have a young adult novel that I know for sure is for sale uh, in Ireland and in the UK called um, The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea. It's available to you guys through Walker Press there. I have a graphic novel coming out this fall in the United States, and I'm just not quite sure how it's going to work in other countries just yet um, called Squad that is about teenage girls who turn into werewolves at the full moon and eat sex pests at parties. It is the book of my weird little heart um, (laughs) and it's set in the town where I grew up so I hope you read it. It is illustrated by Lisa Sturl who did the Modern Witch Tarot deck. She's wildly talented and I think she's amazing. Um, And you can find me on Twitter at E-M-T-E-E-H-A-L-L where I will talk to you about Xena at literally any time of day. Can I also say that Maggie runs a fantastic and occasional Instagram live show called The Body Shack with Meg Allison <laughs> where they uh, get into it about the bodies and I feel like it's it's similar in thesis to what we do here at Juvenilia as well so if you want to go and root some of that out on Instagram I would wholly recommend Thank it. Thank you. We've done Hannibal Lecter and Ursula and we're about to do Catherine from Cruel Intentions. <gasps> nice. Hey! That's perfect. <laughs> yes. You should pair the Juvenilia Cruel Intentions episode with The Body yes. Shack episode. Yes, send me a link that. and we'll, fact, we'll put it do together. Little little cocktail. We mostly talked about the soundtrack and I got actresses mixed up, but it was, yeah, it was a real experience for all of us. Uh, Alan McGuire, what's the crack? Where can I, where can I find am, you? Online? I am Alan underscore McGuire everywhere. Sarah, where can we find you? At Grifsky on twitter.com and in all good bookshops. My uh, first novel is Sparing Vampires, which is a pandemic novel. And my second is Other Words for Smoke, which is about a haunted house and three generations of uh, gals who had a bit of a bit of a hard time with the old magic so if the, either of those things interest you that's where you can they're find both me. beautiful um, also at patreon beautiful lyrical novels oh, thank you so you should read them <laughs> if you like things like words spooky nonsense maggie <laughs> myself and maggie also share an american publisher with green willow uh green willow published uh myself and squad yeah. also which Same is editor. a very it's a fabulous <laughs> martha all right martha what's the crack <laughs> absolute hero so uh we are interconnected across the world in that way too um you should also subscribe to the Juvenile mm-hmm. Patreon, yeah. right? We it's mostly a video game podcast on there. We have a whole extra set of bonus episodes that are often about video games. We will probably do a Kentucky Route Zero episode whenever you finish Kentucky Route Zero because we need to talk about it. Oh, who knows, dude? It's fair. It's heavy yeah. going, man. <laughs> it's heavy um, going. We also oh, so what else? Oh, we're so we're Juvenile underscore Pod on Twitter, Juvenile Pod on Instagram. Uh, thank you, Dee McDonald, for our artwork. Thanks. Uh, Dee. Check out other tale, other Tall Tales podcasts like the new one, All Things Considered. Uh, which is yeah they've just dropped all things it's like a close study yeah, yeah, podcast yeah, it's right? excellent really good um, and I think that's all the things we say at the end of episodes it's been a while that yeah. might be it it's been a minute yeah yeah, yeah. so thank you Maggie to all so much this was amazing thank you for giving me an opportunity to yell about Xena it's all I've ever wanted out of life <laughs> Maggie literally anytime yeah. if you want to come back and do three more episodes in the future <sighs> and we can just gently comb through all that good shit you are welcome back here at any point thank you so much thank you for guys. sharing the joy of Xena <laughs> with us uh, yeah. alright everybody
Hasta. Bye.